So uh, let's, let's hit it. We're continuing on in the, the series on the Sermon on the Mount. So, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. And it says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Sweet. Yes, yes, yes. Cha-ching, okay? Let's, let's take a moment. Let's put together our Christmas lists. Who, who asks will receive. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Um, not, not, well, not really Christmas list time right now. Yes and no. This is, this is actually one of those passages which would probably very easily make my, my top ten list of the most inappropriately quoted passages of Scripture um, in all of Holy Writ. So, so unfortunately, standing between me and a brand new bass amplifier is this thing called context. So, um, <laughs> so, so, so let's, just, let's just take a, a, a little bit of a look at this. Um, Getting things that you want, getting everything that you ask for, um, you, can, you can find yourself disappointed uh, very easily. Um, I don't know if anybody around here remembers. Is, you probably have to be of kind of the right window of age to remember this. But on the back of comic books when I was a kid, there were advertisements, and you could get sea monkeys. Does anybody remember these things, sea monkeys? Derwin? Okay. Good man. Okay, sea monkeys, there were these things, and you could send away for them. And they had, you know, like it showed these little families in an aquarium, families of sea monkeys with smiling, happy faces. You know, and you could order these things, and they would be sent to you. And I asked and pleaded with my parents to let me send away for sea monkeys, and they said no. Yeah, I'm... I'm (laughs) I'm still working that through. Um, but I had a friend, my friend Bob, down the street. He got sea monkeys. And, and he was so happy when he finally found these, these sea monkeys when he got them. Because they came in a little packet, which is a, a little bit disillusioning right there. But... but <laughs> There was still hope because I, we still had in our minds the picture of the smiling family of sea monkeys. Now, eventually, and, and, it, and it, said it, could, it said on the advertisement that you could teach them to do tricks, too, which was, which was we were looking forward to smiling, happy sea monkeys doing tricks. Uh, but, but eventually, he put them in the water, and um, he waited uh, the three or four days or something that you're supposed to wait for them to hatch from this sort of freeze-dried package that you were to put in the water. Um, they, they may have had faces. 
I, I don't know. They, they may have had faces, but they were about this big. The whole sea monkey thing was, was like you had to look through a magnifying glass to see that there was something in this tank. It was bitterly disappointing. And the tricks that you could do, if you shone a light on one side, they would slowly move over to that side of the tank. That was the trick that you could teach your sea monkeys to do. Getting what I wanted, I I mean, my friend getting what he wanted and, and my getting it by being close to him, was so bitterly disappointing. So bitterly disappointing. Or as Oscar Wilde puts it, Playwright and and famous curmudgeon Oscar Wilde says, In this world there are only two great tragedies. One is not getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. Uh, Wise people throughout the ages have come to realize that getting what we want is rarely good for us all the time. May you get what you wish for. This is a a curse that is is widely... uh, uh, that, it, that is attributed variously as a, a gypsy curse, an Inuit curse, a Chinese curse, a Jewish curse, uh, an Algonquin curse, a Celtic curse. It would seem that, that pretty much in every culture throughout every epoch of history, we've recognized that our desires are flawed. Our desires are deeply flawed. Now, I'm not suggesting that we can't come to God and tell him what we want. Um, you know, we can't tell him what we feel like we need. There are, in fact, explicit instructions to do so throughout the Bible and a number of positive examples of people doing this and receiving in accordance to their prayers. And what's more, even in this passage, even in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is presenting his, his blueprint for godly prayer which we call the Lord's Prayer, he tells us to present our requests and needs before God. However, I am contending that, that just maybe in this particular passage, he's talking about something else. Jesus is talking about something else. And so for the next 15, 20 minutes or so, um, just bear with me and, and, and let me tell you what I'm talking about and and explain myself a little bit, and, and then you can decide for yourself what it is Jesus is saying. Um, so perhaps, just maybe, let's put away our Christmas lists for a minute, and, and together discover the things, the arguably even greater things, that God is promising us in this passage of Scripture. So, Matthew, in his recounting the ministry of Jesus, he begins by describing Jesus' baptism, and then uh, his time of testing in the desert, and then we go on to what jo- Matthew goes on to what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been looking at these three chapters of the Bible in the book of Matthew off and on um, over the past number of, of months, and it would seem that Jesus was beginning to experience some celebrity at this point in his ministry. He had been teaching in synagogues, he had been preaching about the nearness of the kingdom of heaven and of uh, and, and he was been doing some supernatural healing of all sorts of physical and spiritual ailments. And scripture tells us that at this point, large crowds from all over the place were beginning to follow him. And so Jesus goes up onto a mountainside and he starts to teach those who had gathered. 
And let me just give you a little bit of a background as to what we're talking about when we get to this passage, what's come before, because I really think it's going to help inform our understanding of what Jesus is saying when he invites us to ask and to seek and to knock. Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a bit of a window into what it looks like to live as followers of God, to to behave like citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And it was really throwing people for a loop. Jesus' teaching got way beyond just do this, don't do that, and it got much deeper than just our outward behavior and and called us to purity of motive, to call us to purity of heart. So in, in the sermon so far, he begins by completely upending what it means to be blessed. He doesn't even so much as mention the, the, the such things as we might expect. And even that things, things that, that we as Christians tend to talk about nowadays when we talk about how we are blessed. You know, he doesn't even talk about financial independence, influence, physical health, family, respect of peers. I, I mean, he doesn't say that these are bad things, but he completely bypasses them and tells us that we are blessed when we're meek when we're merciful, when we're, when we're mourning and persecuted for crying out loud. He says that that's where true blessing lies. So you can sort of imagine people starting to shift in their seats a little bit, starting to say to themselves, you know, okay, clearly we're in for a, a bit of a ride here. This guy is saying something different than what we're used to. This is not what we're hear, used to hearing from our religious leaders. Jesus, Jesus naturally, sensing what they're thinking, tells them, he says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to get rid of the law. It's just that the kingdom is near. And so we're, we're ramping things up here. Okay, we're going to get to the heart of these matters. Now, now, mind you, he's just been doing a whole lot of miracles, healing all sorts of stuff. And so his audience is prepared to cut him a little slack to, to hear him out. And so Jesus proceeds. And he tells them that it is not enough anymore simply not to murder. He says that if you nurse a grudge, if you look down on your if you look down your, your nose with 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 superiority, with hauteur at your brother or sister, you're essentially guilty of the same kind of thing. He says it's not enough to simply not be violent or abusive. He says that you must be in your heart, in the very center of your person, committed to reconciliation and to peace. Uh, And then he teaches it's it's simply not enough to not commit adultery. He says that if if we entertain sexual fantasies outside of the marriage context, or if we in any way objectify another person, we are essentially guilty of the same thing. He says it's not, it's, it's not enough to just keep it in your pants. He says that, that even in your thought life, even in the very center of your person, you need to be committed to the purity of marriage and to be committed to seeing other people not just as, as, as objects for the satiation of our own baser needs, but as whole people. He says it's a heart thing. It's not enough to just behave ourselves. 
You know, and then he goes on to si- drop similar morality bombs on, on all of our ideas about marital phys- fidelity and, and truth-telling and justice and, and mercy and love. And that at the end of this harangue, at the end of chapter 5, he ends, us, he ends with the words, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Seriously? You know, like, come on, Jesus. Cut us some slack. I mean, I can envision, especially in a culture where, where people were only too aware of the perfections of God, jaws dropping. And speaking of dropping, I mean, that would have been a great place for Jesus to just drop the mic and go. But he, he, he proceeds and, and he cuts even deeper. He, he starts talking about the good things that we do, specifically mentioning prayer, fasting, and giving to the needy. I mean, good things, right? You know, he, he says it isn't enough just to do them. He says, rather, we need to be doing them even for the right reasons. In our hearts, we need to be doing them for the right reasons, not just to please or, or to impress people, but before God alone for the right reasons. And he suggests that it's not... That, that we ought to not to be pursuing public recognition for ourselves, for our acts of piety and charity. And then he goes even deeper than that and to talk about our personal citizenship and our allegiance, our, the very heart of where our security lies, that it can't lie with anything other than God. And he talks about where our security is to be sourced and where all of these things are supposed to be. And then, as we heard last week, he goes even further because as, he, as we heard last week, we're, as we're being careful about judging so that, so that even if I can somehow manage against all odds to beat back a lifetime's worth of moral degeneration and, and master my own issues to the point where, where I'm starting to get a grip on some of these things, I am not even granted the soothing balm of being able to feel superior about it. <laughs> like, can you imagine after all of this how Jesus' listeners must have been feeling? You know, Jesus, I, I've seen you healing people. I have borne witness to your spiritual authority, even over demons. So I believe and I know that you're the real deal. I've been following you. I've seen that you actually live these things out. And what's more, I can see that what you're saying is true. I get it. The, the, that outward behavior is merely scratching the surface of our of our moral depravity. We need more than that. But Jesus, I can't do it. I want it. That's why I'm following you. I want it, but I can't do it. I simply don't have the inner strength, the the self-mastery, to do what it is that you're asking of me. What you're telling me that I must do in order to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, 
I can't do it. And so Jesus, in his perfect, infinite mercy, looks at his followers, looks at you and me today, and offers us all these timeless words of grace. This, this is the gospel. So if you're able, please stand and hear afresh the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good give, good, give good gifts to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. We are being invited to participate in our being made new. To participate in our being made pure. To, to participate in our being made worthy citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But thanks be to God... The heavy lifting in all of this is simply not ours to do. It is gift. Mind you, as I, as I said before, we are invited to participate. Our role is an active one. We're, we're faced with three verbs here. Ask. Ask. We are to be people who pray. People who persistently ask God to work in us. To make us pure. And he will indeed do it. Seek, and you will find. We are to be people who are ever looking for and celebrating evidences of God's work in our lives. And God assures us that they are there to be found. Knock, and the door will be opened. Knock is a... Is, it's a little bit more physical. It's an active thing. To me, this suggests that we're, what we're doing is not simply to, to pray and then to, you know, to wait around, finger in nose, for God to do something. Uh, rather, we are to be actively pressing into God, engaging Him, and engaging such spiritual disciplines as will move us toward purity. It's active. The heavy lifting, however, the real work of our being made pure is not ours to do. We see this in a number of places throughout Scripture. Um, <coughs> I, I would recommend um, for you sometime over this coming week to, to read the book of Hebrews. It's, it's 
for those of you who are newer to Scripture, it's toward the back of your Bible. It has only 13 shortish kinds of chapters. It's only like 10 pages in my Bible. Um, and it'll probably take you less than an hour to read. It, it's a little dense, so you might want to give it a little more time than that. But it's, it's a fairly short read. I, I would encourage you to, to, to look through it um, sometime soon, because it speaks well to what I'm talking about here. Let me just give you some excerpts here. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says, How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? It's just been talking about, the writer of Hebrews has just been talking about the, 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 the Old Testament sacrificial system and how it is ultimately inadequate. And then it goes on to explain the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and to explain that not only does it offer us salvation, but it offers us cleansing in our consciences and from acts that lead to death and equips us to serve God well. And then in chapter 10, verses 13 to 14, since then, since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being, ma being made holy. We are already, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, seen as pure and holy before God. But not just that. God has given us assurance through the person of Jesus Christ that we are in the process of being made holy. And it's God who says he's doing it. And then in chapter 10, again, verses uh, 38, verse 38, the beginning of 38, it says, but the righteous will live by faith. Our primary act then as Christians, our primary act of piety, our primary act of purity, of participation in our own being made pure and righteous is simply to trust that we are being made pure even when we cannot see it. And then what's more, Jesus is referred to throughout the book of Hebrews as the great high priest, so that even when we don't ask right, when we don't seek right, when we don't knock properly, he is interceding for us, even as we are so assured in Romans 8.34, I believe it is. We are being called to ask, to seek, and to knock. Yes, but... But the heavy lifting is not ours to do. You'll note that it doesn't say, ask, and through, the, through the, the cleverness of your petition, it will be given to you. No, it just says, ask, and it will be given. It doesn't say, seek, and because you know exactly where the right place is to look, you're going to... No, seek, and you will find. It doesn't say knock, and if you continue knocking and pound heavily enough, you'll manage to break the door down. No, it says knock, and the door will be opened for you. We ask, we seek, we knock. God gives. God sees that it is found. God opens the door. And then in verses 9 and, and following, it, oh, sorry, I'm back in Matthew 
7 now. Verses 9 and following, it says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, and, and everybody at this point is already kind of, you know, feeling, feeling a little beat up by, by this new standard of holiness that Jesus has held up in the opening of his sermon. <clears throat> he says, if, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God's work of sanctification in our lives, and for those of you who haven't spent as much time around church speak, uh, sanctification is, is a $10 word, a, a good one, but it's like a $10 word that refers to our process of being made pure, our process of being made holy. Our sanctification is in no way predicated upon our own virtue, but rather it rests secure on the inherent immovable goodness and absolutely unshakable love of the father and you might i mean you might argue well lincoln you know you don't know where i've been you don't know what i'm what i've done you don't know how bad my habits are how rotten my thought life is and and i don't i mean y'all might be messed up but but (laughs) but you don't know how messed how incredibly broken i am you know, uh, I mean, unless you happen to be like really close personal friends with me, you, you probably don't know the depth of my, my moral failing either. But what I, would, what I would put to you is that it doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with whether or not we feel like it's enough, whether we feel like our asking and our seeking and our knocking is, is going to bring fruit, whether it's going to prevail. It doesn't matter whether we think so or not. You know, if I was going to go down the street and, and buy you a bowl of pho after, after the service today, and I had $100 in my pocket, my ability to pay for that food after the service today has nothing to do with what I think the value of what my, is in my pocket is. I have it. I have enough to pay for it. It's, it. It can be paid for by what I already have. In the same way, our being made holy is not predicated upon whether or not we think we can do it, whether or not we think we are adequate, whether or not we think we are up to the task. What God is calling us to do, what Jesus is calling us to do, in this passage, is ask, seek, knock. Because even if, we, even, even if we're evil, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. This process of being made pure is what we're made for. It's what we were reborn for. It's what Jesus died for. It's our being made pure... Is, is guaranteed not by our vigilance, but by the, 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 the love and the word and, the, and the, the ultimate trustworthiness of God himself. To have the faith to ask and to seek and to knock. 
That faith is objectively enough. And God promises, again, not on the basis of our goodness, but of his goodness, that he will indeed make us whole. That when we ask, we will rec- it will be given to us. That when we seek, we will find. That when we knock, the door will indeed be opened. So just as we, as we wrap up today, just remember how I implied before that this was, this was not the time to make our Christmas lists? Well, maybe it is. I kind of think it might be. If Christmas is indeed the time to celebrate the coming of Christ, well then, Merry Christmas to you. Because that is indeed what this passage is inviting you to do. Put together your Christmas list, your Christ coming list. So take a moment... Close your eyes if it's helpful. But just reflect for a minute. What would it look like for Christ to come to reign completely in our world? In our community? And in our lives as individuals? What would that look like? What would be needful for that to happen? Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.